Speaker Kevin McCarthy opens an impeachment inquiry on the president of the United States. We look at the risks involved and what that shows us about the American politic as a whole. Religious freedom is under attack across not only our country, but across the world. We look at some things in Europe that could cause us to raise our eyebrows. Plus, Jamie Raskin and Nancy Pelosi all declined to say that Kamala Harris is the correct choice for vice president in 2024, while Vice President Harris calls for equity at large. All of that today on the Palmetto Family Matters Show. Welcome in. It is Friday. You made it to the end of the week. Glad you're joining us on the fastest growing and strongest conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina. Again, today we will be the second largest and second fastest growing conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina. Mitch Prosser's not here today. We're joined by Dr. Tony Beam. We'll get to his show in just a second and what he talked about this morning. But Dr. Beam, glad you're joining us. It is Friday September 15th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. Mitch would normally do the ding there. It is 9, 12 a.m. at the time of this recording because news is always breaking. So we want to make sure that you know we are time stamping this program and we're not falling behind. Now, with all that out of the way, Dr. Beam, glad you're with us on the show again. Another appearance by you, and, and we're glad you're here. Well, and when news breaks, we fix it. That's, <laughs> that's our right. That's our, that's our main mantra here. No, it's a pleasure. Uh, pleasure to be on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about how well uh, Palmetto Family's podcast is is going, um, how fast it is growing. Yeah. Um, I'm pushing, of course, my podcast, my show, trying to get it established. Um, I've only been doing it for a few months. I think I did my 103rd show today since the radio gig ended. So it's growing some, and I'm encouraged by that. And I'm pushing hard to get the word out that there might be people that enjoy it. Well, our show typically runs and is typically out around lunchtime. So if you're looking for something to start your morning with, we've given you several opportunities and several options we've talked about the briefing with Al Mohler and a few others. Right. But, but Dr. Beam has a show that airs from, correct me, uh, 7.30 to 8.30. Am I right? It's live on Facebook uh, from 7.30 to 8.30. And then that, that becomes the podcast. Now the podcast is actually uploaded within about 30 minutes of the end of the live broadcast. So it's usually available between 9.30 and 10. But, um, you know, like I said, then it's available anytime. If you just, the best thing is to go follow the podcast. It's called Truth and Politics and Culture. Um, if you like it, leave me a good review because their chances are other people will like it too. And um, I just appreciate the support. It's, um, I, I'm having to get used to it. I mean, 22 years of walking in a studio and for two hours, I had the best producer in South Carolina Absolutely. putting a show together for me that, I didn't have to do anything but concentrate on what I wanted to say. Right. And now I'm having to push the levers and do the, I mean, do the whole deal. So um, it's a transition, but I'm really enjoying it. I appreciate being on the show. And thanks for the plug. Of course. And we'll, and we'll gladly plug it um, because it's, it's a quality program and, and one that, that I enjoy listening to as frequently as I can while I'm, you know, getting ready to come into the office here in the mornings. And then if I, if I miss a part of it, I'll go back and, and listen to it while I'm here. So we've got a lot of news to get to, and we've kind of kicked the can on this a little bit because I think, um, impeachment is something that uh, let's just give a historical context really quick. Cause I think it's important. 
Impeachment, for the better part of our country's history, is that last lever of necessity when it comes to a high crime or misdemeanor committed by the chief executive or the president of the United States. Now, we saw impeachment proceedings commence just in our in our collective memory, not mine. I wasn't alive. Uh, Richard Nixon. And then we didn't see it for a long time. And then early in my formative years, and, and by that I mean like forming the ability to say words, Bill Clinton was uh, impeached as well. And then we didn't see it again until Donald Trump was impeached not once, but twice in 2019 and 2020. By the way, in 2019 for making a phone call to Ukrainian President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. Interesting. And then in 2020 for something else. And now... Speaker Kevin McCarthy has opened an impeachment inquiry without a vote in the House, a thing that Nancy Pelosi did twice in the House. Dr. Beam, when it comes to not this specific impeachment, but when it comes to the idea of impeachment in the United States, are we have we crossed the Rubicon at this point? Or are we about to see every single president, should they be in a different political party from the House majority, are we about to see every president impeached over something? Well, I, th I think we have entered into a season of mutually assured destruction. You know, we we went through mad in the uh, nuclear era. Nuclear era. I, I'm sounding like George W. Bush here this morning. <laughs> uh, we went through that during the nuclear era. Uh, era, and you know, and now we're going through it in the political era. Um, as in terms of you, you impeach my president, I'm going to impeach your president. And it's just yeah. going to be a quid pro quo. And the, the American people are are not going to be moved by this if this continues to go down this road. It's the same thing with all these hearings. You know, I, my concern over endless congressional hearings is that they happen and nothing happens. Information is discovered. Um, and and basically what, what changes from the fact that these congressional panels bring whistleblowers, bring different people to testify. And then the result is the information gets out to the American people and it's decided at election time. It's not decided in the courts. It's not decided as a matter of law. And I think a lot of people are frustrated with that. Um, and so as, as we continue to use impeachment, not as a last resort, but as a retaliatory weapon politically, I think that it's going to continue to lose its emphasis. And and Andrew McCarthy wrote a piece over at National Review, and I'm just going to read part of what he says because I, I think this is true. Let's be honest. Kevin McCarthy had to slog his way to the speakership. I right. forget how many votes they had. There is a vocal – and again, I, I want to be careful here. There is a vocal minority within the majority – that seemingly will just yell at the clouds over anything. Um, and the chief opponent right now of Kevin McCarthy is Representative Matt Getz from Florida. Right. There is a strong push from that faction of the party that, hey, listen, you need to rein in spending. And I agree with that. And then you need to impeach Joe Biden. So Kevin McCarthy, it appears, feeling the pressure from that faction moves forward with it. The Andrew McCarthy makes the point in his National Review piece that the math is difficult here because there's an eight-seat majority in the House for Republicans right now. Right. Should, should a few of them 
drop off. Just a few. You don't even have enough votes to send articles of impeachment to the Senate. Now, the Senate is a whole different ball game. They won't they, you know, forget it. Right. But you you are at, you are at risk here of a couple of different things. Number one, I I truly believe there is ample evidence contrary to the to the national mainstream media's view. There is ample evidence that Joe Biden was a beneficiary of Hunter Biden's activities in different countries. I, I think that's obvious. He sends a text to Joe Biden's uh, granddaughter saying, I pay all of Pop's bills. We have that. That's evidence of something. The problem is, if you don't get any more, and for whatever reason, you can't bring up articles of impeachment, you very well could have dealt the death blow to Republicans in the 2024 presidential election and down ballot. I mean, this is a this is a very risky maneuver if it doesn't work out the way that McCarthy and the House Republican majority wants it to work out. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, for the, the let, let's look first of all at the, the point that you made that it, it only takes a handful of moderate Republicans. And then even with whatever is uncovered, if they have no stomach for impeachment, if this doesn't go to an impeachment vote in the House, if the House doesn't agree to impeach, then President Biden just simply comes out and says, look, I've been exonerated. I told you that there's a bunch of Republican extremism. And now even the House can't agree that there's a reason to impeach me. Now, let's say that the impeachment articles go forward. They find some additional evidence that's compelling and the moderates come on board. Somehow McCarthy's able to get everybody in the same room and are on the same page and, and they vote impeachment articles. We know for a fact that the Senate's never going to remove the president. Right. So the only advantage that we have here from the impeachment is information shared with the American people that could undermine Joe Biden's chances of being reelected. And, I, and I'm going to throw this out there right now because I've said this for a month now. I started I started the prediction and I'm going to stand by it. I do not believe that Joe Biden will be the Democrat nominee for president. I do not. I think by January, maybe February at the latest, the Democrat Party is going to have to find a way to remove him because they know he is toxic. He cannot. He is in he is in a bad place. When you look at the CNN poll, the Wall Street Journal poll that came out two uh, polls back to back that show that the that 71 percent of the country think that Biden is too old and is not uh, mentally acute or physically strong enough to be president. I mean, these are these are numbers that have Democrats uh, very concerned. And so there's there's there are those who say and I've read some of these articles that impeachment might work in the Senate because the Democrats would use it as an excuse to replace Biden. A couple of things that's wrong with that. Number one, they're never going to allow their guy to be removed from office. Tribal right. politics being what it is, that that is off the table. That would be essential. That would be a disaster for the Democrat Party. Right. And then disaster number two is that Kamala Harris would become <laughs> president of the United States. That would help us all. Be the front runner, and her numbers. If, and this is crazy, but her numbers are lower than Biden's in yes. terms of popularity uh, um, among the electorate. So, yes, uh, impeachment is very dangerous. McCarthy really doesn't have a choice. Uh, he is being pushed by those in his party that could call a vote and remove him as speaker. And so he's starting these 
Uh, and, and by the way, the other downside of this, McCarthy was very critical when Nancy Pelosi started impeachment procedures without a House vote. I mean, he he was apoplectic about that. That And Donald Trump was able to say, well, I'm going to ignore this because you don't have a legitimate impeachment um, effort going here. Well, President Biden's going to do the same thing. He's just simply going to say, this is illegitimate. The House hasn't voted for anything. Um, and so I, I am sort of slow to see where the advantages are in getting more information yep. out because of the impeachment article. Now we're talking about impeachment. How does that increase the subpoena power of the House? Some say it does. Others say it doesn't. Yeah, well, and and we're talking about what basically we're talking about is a what's go good for the goose is good for the gander at this point. Right. Basically, right. this is basically this is the Republican majority. And, and, and forgive the phrase. You know, and to the goose point, like flipping the bird to Democrats saying, listen, you did it. We're going to do it now. And I, and politics, for the most part, seems like a bunch of middle schoolers, right, fighting over a ball. And this, I think, is the epitome of it. Now, again, that's not to say that I don't believe there is legitimate concern uh, about Joe Biden's foreign business dealings with his son. And the White House has changed their tune on this. If we remember the campaign in 2019 and 2020, uh, Joe Biden said, and I quote, my son Hunter has not done anything wrong. Uh, then it was Joe Biden knew President Biden knew nothing about his son's business dealings. Then it was, well, he knew about them, but he didn't talk about them. Then it was, well, he talked on the phone with Hunter, but he talked to them just about what the weather was like in Ukraine. There's right. obviously obfuscation. And yeah, deflection yeah. taking place in the White House with my favorite press secretary of all time, Corinne Jean-Pierre. But you mentioned you mentioned the Kamala Harris thing, and that's what I'm calling her entire time as vice president, the Kamala Harris thing, because Vice President Harris is one of the uh, one of the worst vice presidents, according to polling data that we've ever had. I mentioned it a couple months ago that her her approval rating was lower than Dick Cheney's at the time when it when Dick Cheney shot somebody. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. So she she's in a tough spot. Now, she will tell you that I have plenty of polls that say I'm doing really well. Find me one. I would love to see it. The Democratic Party, though, you mentioned is in a tough spot. I'm, I'm not going to play the clip because we have another one I want to play a little bit later. But on with on CNN with Anderson Cooper, by the way, if you weren't in your gym or in an airport terminal, you probably didn't catch it. But Anderson Cooper had a sit down with former speaker Nancy Pelosi. Turns out she's speaker emeritus, didn't know that existed. He asked her, is Kamala Harris the best choice for vice president? Three different times he asked her the question, and every single time she sidestepped it. Jake Tapper asked Jamie Raskin the same thing a day later, and he did the same thing. You mentioned impeachment's probably not the route they're going to go because you never want to be the party that impeaches your own guy, especially when you've been so ardently defendant of him for so many years and you propped him up to be president. How does the Democratic Party need to approach this? And I don't think I, I want to be strategizing for wild leftism and secularism, but when it comes to Vice President Harris, uh, Joe Biden's 80, he'll be 82, 84. The next time he's inaugurated, should he be? Uh, should he be? Um, Eighty-four. Yeah. yeah. Should he? Should he come into office again? Stay there in twenty twenty-five. Vice President Harris would literally be one feeble heartbeat away from president of the United States. Democrats cannot be thrilled with that option. 
Well, no, they, they, they don't want her to be on the ticket. Um, and they don't want Biden to be on the ticket. I mean, it's becoming clear that even Democrats do not think that he should be the candidate. That's why I'm saying I, I think this reluctance on Nancy, Nancy Pelosi's part and on Jamie Raskin's part is is they're preparing themselves for what inevitably could be a change at the top. Now, that would be shocking, um, but I, I, I think they're they're reluctant to be all in for Kamala Harris because they know that she's a drag, she's a liability on a president that has his own liabilities. I mean, when, you, when you've got a president that's as unpopular as Biden and you add to that a vice president that's more unpopular, I mean, the Democrats are in a panic. They're trying to figure out what to do. And they're not going to come out with guns blazing against Biden and Harris because they can't do that. But they're also going to be reserved in at this stage of a campaign in their support, in the thought process that maybe Joe Biden will something will happen to him that makes it unten untenable for him to be the candidate. And if he if that were to happen, they want to be able to lay some groundwork to be able to not have to have to pivot. Uh, to Kamala Harris. Right. And I think that's why you're seeing this reluctance on their part to be cheerleaders. Plus, they just don't want to come out and be openly supportive of somebody that the American people has already made a decision about. I mean, that makes them look a little bit foolish. Uh, I don't think it helps the ticket. Right. Well, I want to dive in a little bit more because I think we've I think we've struck into something here that I want to continue to dive into. Should things hold true? And again, we're a long way away. It's September 15th. The Iowa caucus isn't for several more months. We have a couple more debates between now and then. Right. If it were to stay the way it looks, we will have a rematch. Uh, and I don't really care for rematches in presidential politics. Uh, sitting President Joe Biden, former President Donald Trump, those will be the two nominees for each party. Mitch and I have talked about this on the show. If you watch the show, you know this. And if you don't watch the show, you should know this. Whomever, whomstever, is elected out of those two, the moment their hand hits Bible and hand in the air, and the moment they say, so help me God, and the Chief Justice says, congratulations, Mr. President, immediately, lame duck, immediately. So, when you're looking at a situation where, I'm looking at the RCP averages here, uh, Joe Biden is 16 points underwater, 39.8% RCP average favorability rating. The former president, Donald Trump, according to the RCP average, is 17 points underwater, 39% uh, favorability. Uh, Ron DeSantis appears to be the main challenger to President Trump, 17 and a half, or excuse me, 15 and a half underwater. Kamala Harris is 18 underwater. I mean, what do, what do either party do? What does either party do? <laughs> In 2024, as we see a majority of Americans don't like either one of them. Well, I, yes, America does not want a Trump um, uh, Biden rematch. They want new people on the ticket. They, they Liz Peck wrote uh, about this at Fox News, and she said the the best thing that could happen is for 
Joe Joe Biden to offer a blanket pardon to Donald Trump if he withdraws from the race and then he resigns as president. I mean, that that we just simply get both of them off the table. The country would be immediately in a better position if you had a new person on the Democrat side and a new person on the Republican side. Now, let's get out of fantasy land and, right. and talk, about, uh, talk about what's real, because obviously that's not going to happen. The lame duck status that you're talking about is going to depend largely on the makeup of the Senate and the House. And I'm, I'm very concerned about the down ballot races in 2024, uh, how they're going to be affected by a rematch. Um, you know, CNN and, and, and the Wall Street Journal both came out with a poll that a lot of uh, Trump supporters um, in the Republican base are hanging their hat on saying that Trump can win this election in the general election, because it shows Biden with a one-point lead, or depending on which you look at, Trump has a one-point lead. But they're in a dead heat. They're within the margin of error. But when you dig into that poll, you find that Biden only has 58% minority vote. That is not going to hold. When right. you get to the general election, that, that's the truth right now. But when you get to the general election, the minority vote is going to come home to the Democrat Party and the Democrat candidate, whether that's Joe Biden or somebody else, is going to get 80 percent plus of the minority vote. And that's going to I don't see how we have President Trump getting elected um, against Joe Biden with with those numbers being yeah. what they're likely to be in the general election. I'm not talking about the Republican primary. Republicans right. love Donald Trump. There's no question. He's running away with the nomination. Mm -hmm. But we need to be asking ourselves a question. If he runs away with the nomination, what evidence is there to say to us, other than we believe uh, that Biden is a, is a terrible candidate, which he is, that Trump is, is going to be able to overcome Biden the second time? And and if we go back to 2016, people will look at 2016 as the pathway. But a lot happened in 2016 that the Trump camp, the Trump campaign appeared to be veering off course with the Access Hollywood tape. Then he got back on track with the forgotten man argument at the end of the campaign. And what right. we saw, what we saw in 2016, he turned out the Republican base. There's no question about that. But in 2016, the other side looked at their candidate and said, eh, I'd rather just stay home. Yeah. And we didn't see good turnout for Hillary Clinton. We saw the Hispanic vote actually swing toward Republicans. Now, now Trump didn't win the majority of the Hispanic vote. I'm not saying that, but the margin was closer. Right. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing about that, too, that people forget. OK, Hillary Clinton was not well liked. Even oh. if Democrats, do you remember Democrats, what they went through with Bernie Sanders? Yeah. I mean, yep. a lot of Democrats wanted Bernie Sanders, and it's true. We now know that the Democrat machine in that primary race inaugurated, you know, Joe Biden. I mean, they put him up there and they've done the same thing. It, it you know, Kennedy has a, a valid argument that the Democrat Party has rigged the system so that Joe yep. Biden has to be the nominee. I mean, changing South Carolina you know, Biden lost Iowa and New Hampshire, right. and now you and, and now they put South Carolina first for the very purpose of making sure Joe Biden wins coming out of the gate because he would win South Carolina. I mean, all of all of that is 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 happening, and and so, you know, I I, I lost my train of thought for a second. Well, 
I think you make a good point, though, because what we're what we're seeing when it comes to 2016 and what happened with Hillary. And that's what I, OK. Thank yeah. you. That's what I was trying to get back to. Yeah. In 2016, Hillary was very unpopular, but everybody thought she was going to win. Yeah. Okay. So you see, people are saying, OK, Biden's really unpopular. Hillary was really unpopular and Trump won. The difference being Hillary was really unpopular, but everybody, nobody believed Trump had a chance. Right. So they stayed home because they didn't like her, but they didn't think it was going to cause her to lose the election. Right. Anybody think in 2024 that the Democrats are going to stay home if Trump is on the on the ballot Not a chance. because they don't like Joe Biden? No, not a chance. Turn out. The Democrat base is going to turn out in droves to vote not for Biden, but against Trump. And Trump won an extremely close election in 2016. I mean, it came down. I think I, I, I used to know this number off the top of my head because I talked about it a lot. But I think it was around 77,000 total votes spread across three states. And that made the difference in the Electoral College. And so I. I, I think hanging our hat on that happening again is kind of dangerous for Republicans in 2024. I'd agree with that. I would agree with that. I think that the game that is about to be played inside of national politics is something we've never seen before. Um, I've I've been I've been pretty adamant that I believe Gavin Newsom is the heir apparent. Now, I don't know if you can sell California politics nationwide just because of the number of people who are leaving that state. And we had Jonathan Keller from the California Family Council on earlier this week. The the all-out assault on children and family in California would not sell to the majority of Americans. It might sell to those who ascribe to the LGBTQIA plus minus division sign ampersand tilde group, but it's not going to sell nationwide. I still I still believe that it's possible that if he makes it through the election and gets reelected, Joe Biden will be out of office within the first two months of his second term. Kamala is elevated. She appoints or nominates a Gavin to be the VP. He's approved by a Senate that's still uh, majority Democrat held. And you're looking at a situation where you have a uh, 16 year run of Democrat control if you're not careful. So, again, Republicans need to be very clear minded about what they want. Conservatives, mind you need to be very clear about what they want and what they look for in a candidate. I, 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 I loathe the, this is the most important election of our lifetime because I believe every election is important. Uh, but this is one that could swing the pendulum for at li- the bare minimum eight years uh, of our, of our national conversation. I want to go right. to something. I want to go to something that you had on your program this morning. And again, if you aren't following uh, Dr. Beam's program every morning from 730 to 830 on Facebook, make sure you're doing it or his podcast version, Truth, Politics and Culture. Uh, make sure to uh, subscribe to that uh, as well as ours. Give us both a follow. Give us both a subscription. Give us both a five star rating and review. Here's a good plug for both programs. They're both free. And so uh, like the best things in life, like the best things in life, they're free. Um you talked this morning about religious freedom, and right. and I had a conversation with somebody who's just moved to South Carolina from Pennsylvania post-COVID, and she made the point that everyone here is, everyone here is so friendly and, and everything, but she and I both agreed on something. People in South Carolina do not realize either A, what's happening around us, or B, what's happening in our own communities. We are in a bubble in the United States of America, and it's a good bubble because I believe our founders were some of the most intelligent men 
to ever grace this planet when they enshrined the right to freedom of religion in the Constitution, meaning, folks, real quick, that you are free to live out your religious, deeply held beliefs in public outside of the walls of your church, synagogue, mosque, temple, whatever. And, And we might disagree on on your religious views and you might disagree with mine and that's okay. Um, Mine's true, but you're free to live it out. But in, in different areas in Europe, Dr. Beam, we're seeing significant challenges to the very idea that you can simply believe in something. Right. Well, and that's happening in, in Finland right now in a case that's very disturbing for a number of reasons. I'm, I'm going to do my best to pronounce this parliament member of parliament's name correctly. Godspeed. I, I believe it's Pavi Rasnans. Uh, Rasnans. That's it. Rasnans. Sounds right. I like yeah, it. I think, I think that's what it is. All right. She's a member of parliament. She's a pastor's wife. And in 2019, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Finland sponsored a pride parade. And that was something that she felt very strongly about. So she put out this this tweet in 2019. How can the church's doctrinal foundation, the Bible, be compatible with the lifting up of shame and sin as a subject of pride? And then she posted uh, an image of Romans 1, 24 through 27. Now, I'm not going to read that, but most of the people following this program will know what that is. It has to do with the condemnation of uh, homosexuality and lesbianism. And the unwinding of the and the unwinding of the moral order set forth by the creator which is is what Paul regards as the exchange of the truth for a lie. Mm-hmm. And so and he uses this as an example. Well, what happened to her is that she was charged with a hate crime under Finnish law. And not only did the Finnish authorities look at what she tweeted, they went back 20 years and looked at statements that she had made. She put out a pamphlet in 2004 that talked about um, the uh, order of creation in terms of sexuality and God's view and the Bible's view of sexuality. And then she did this interview, and they used both of them to bring her up on charges. Now, back in March, she was found innocent by the court in Finland by a majority vote. But something Finland does not have that we have is there's no double jeopardy in Finland. And so the prosecutors just turned around and they refiled the case and charged her with the exact same evidence. And she went back into court again. And on September 1st, the trial came to a conclusion. And in a couple of months, we'll find out about the outcome. But it is it is very disturbing when you think about the fact that the prosecutors say Part of their case against her was that she took those verses from Romans. Here's the here's the um, phrase. She took them literally, and she she spoke about their meaning publicly, and so therefore she was guilty of breaking Finland's hate speech laws. So this is the government not only saying that you can't say certain things that are true about what you believe about the Bible. But you can't even have a particular interpretation of the Bible. You can't say that the Bible is literal, because if you do, then you turn it into a hate speech. And this is tied to a new law that was passed in Ireland uh, just recently that basically says that if you possess or you disseminate any speech 
that could be considered hate speech, any speech, possession or dissemination of that speech could get you charged with a hate crime in Ireland. Well, now, what is the Bible going to be considered hate speech? How many people in Ireland have a Bible? And what does that mean for them if the Irish government is deciding that the Bible is hate speech against uh, same-sex couples? So this is a it, it, it's a very disturbing trend. It's happening across Europe. It's happened in Germany. It's happened in Great Britain. It's this latest case with the Finnish author authorities. Um, and and what, what I think it teaches us as Americans is we're under the same attacks here in this country. The difference is the wisdom of our founders. They linked freedom of religion, freedom, uh, religious liberty. They link that to the First Amendment protection of free speech. And because both of those are together in the very First Amendment of the United States Constitution, our courts are more and more lining up on the side of the Constitution. Even the Ninth Circuit, the Ninth Circuit Court just recently ruled in favor of a Christian club in California that was kicked off campus because they expressed Christian beliefs. And the Ninth Circuit said, you can't have a double standard. I mean, thankfully, we finally have gotten a court that used the term double standard, that you can't go to secular groups and set a standard for membership, but tell Christians that they can't set a standard for their membership. Right. And so that's that's kind of where we are. I, I think what's interesting is I, I heard a quote yesterday. Um, I was at Columbia International <laughs> University for uh, for something and uh, for a church fair where different ministries and churches can go out to Columbia International University and and talk with students and, you know, if they're looking for internships, things of that sort. I was out there. We get a chance to go into the chapel service on the day that we're there. And always, a, always a treat. And the person speaking at the chapel service gave a quote that from somebody that the the theologian or the pastor, whomever it was, said that we are experiencing the largest decline of the church in North America in our history. That's right. Um, so as we see more attacks on religious freedom, I think you make a very interesting point on on the literal interpretation of Scripture. Unless I have reason to not like biblical foundational reasoning why one passage shouldn't be literal, and I think you can have a couple of examples in Scripture of where it's where it's more where it's literally a figurative way of speaking. Yeah, but this the scripture actually states that if exactly. it's speak meta metaphorically or parabolically, exactly, it's made clear. Yeah. Right, because there's one point where where Christ says he's like I like a mother hen with her chicks. Like he's he's drawing the comparison. Right. He's not saying I am a mother hen. He's drawing the comparison. So that's one example. But if we take scripture literally, it's considered hate speech. That to me says that we are going to begin seeing, and I think we have begun to see, a rise of an alternative view, version of Christianity yeah. in this country where yeah. the, the dogma, the, the religious sacraments are different than biblical Christianity. You see it uh, with wildly liberal uh, theologians. You see it with liberal uh, denominations the sparkle creed, uh, wide acceptance of homosexuality and transgenderism. Abortion is considered holy and good uh, in some of these. I think we are going to begin to, they're going to try to turn things around to where, no, no, that's, that's Christianity. What you're saying is hate speech. 
What right. pastor, what you've written in your sermon notes, by the way, is hate speech. So if in certain countries, this is now the case where if you have possession or try to possess hate material, hate speech material, uh, it can be confiscated and you can be charged. Well, I would believe that the Bible would be considered hate speech. And I believe that if my, you know, my father-in-law were to preach a sermon on Romans one, I think it's very clear what the scripture says. So you exposit the, the scripture. And then if those are in your sermon notes under these certain laws, you could be charged with hate crimes. That's and, correct. And that's a, then that's a flip that seemed foreign years ago, but now I, I can see a state and a situation in our country where one is viewed as the more tolerable Christianity and the other is viewed as simply a hateful, bigoted uh, religious group. Well, that, that, that's, a very, that's a very good observation, Justin, because you're exactly right. That's, that's where we're headed. And actually, that's, a, that's biblical. The yep. Bible tells us in First uh, and Second Timothy, in uh, Revelation, certainly, it, and, and, and regardless of what your eschatology is, meaning what you believe about how the world is going to end up, whether Christians are raptured, and then you have seven years tribulation, all these kind of things, regardless of that, the Bible teaches that there will rise in the last days, there will be an alternative religion to the true religion of, 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 of biblical faith and Christianity. And that's what we're seeing. Um, it is a it is a, a a religion that is manufactured by humans rather than received from God to humans as delivered by the one who created us in his image. And as as we try to remake the Bible into our image, what we think is right. Uh, that's going to become more and more popular because people don't want to be under the gun. I, I tell um, uh, Christians all the time when I speak about this, I say, look, you need to, to be sure that you're ready to pay the price for biblical Christianity because the price is going up. For years and years, we lived in this country under, under a blanket of freedom and even for a time, approval uh, of the culture at large. Those days are gone. We now live in a in a culture that is hostile to biblical truth. It's more important than ever that we speak the truth in love, that we stand for the truth, that we don't compromise, that we don't make excuses, that we simply, without being arrogant or angry, in all humility and dependence on the sovereignty of God, we put forth the truth of God's word and stand behind it and are willing to pay the consequences for that. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Yeah. We are we are live uh, and and I think the main takeaway that we can that we can gather from our this Friday uh, edition of the show. Things are not <laughs> shocking breaking news. Things are not what they used to be. I think we see that in the political order. Right. I think we see it in our electoral process. Yes. I think, I think we see it in the culture. I think we even see it inside the churches of this great nation. And we are getting closer and closer, depending on, again, as Dr. Beam just said, you know, your eschatological view might be different than mine. We're getting closer and closer to a moment in time where you will have to make a very difficult decision. Yes. And and I 
I said this the other day. We use this when we're talking about um, our our view on how children should be raised and how um, what California is doing and and schools even within this state and within this area are are basically giving out sexual material through their libraries to children. Paul writes in, in Ephesians about the the armor of God, but before that, he says, "Now doing all of this, stand firm, and then stand." There, there's a there's a consistent, active voice there. You should yeah. always be standing firm. You should always be standing for truth. Please never understand that. Please never take this to mean that you need to go looking for the darkness because. I believe I believe it was Chuck Smith who said, "Don't you know? You don't need to go looking for the darkness. Just flip on a light, and and you'll you'll see where the shadows are." Right. You, you just need to be prepared. You need to be willing to stand on what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, take the time to maybe find that out so you know what you're standing for. And right. and a good way to do that when you're talking about the the culture around us and 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 the political realm and and different things like that, we've got some some. Things that you can digest. And one of those is Truth, Politics, and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam that's on every Monday through Friday, with few exception, from 7.30 to 8.30 on Facebook and then uh, on podcast as well. And so right. I would encourage you guys to give him that five-star rating and review and subscribe too. Let, let me say that, and I, I really appreciate that. And I would reciprocate and say that you you need to be following uh, Palmetto Family Podcast. It, it is, as you can see, uh, it's filled with great information every day uh, about so many topics that are important to us as believers. And let me let me uh, kind of say this and give you a, an illustration about something you said. You know, the Greek word in Ephesians for stand actually means to stand forth. It is an active, it's not a passive, just stand there and let things happen to you. It is a moving stand. It is a moving forth in the culture with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, and the sword of the spirit, which is our only offensive weapon, is the word of God. It, it, it's That's what we're supposed to use to pierce the darkness, is the light of God's word as we speak. And the other parts of that are defensive when it comes to the Christian life. But I, I want to say this, you if you're going to stand in the, the day that we're in, you have to decide to do that today. And here's the reason. If you wait until it comes to your door, the pressure is going to be so great that if you try to make that decision to stand in the midst, then you may fail. I used to tell when I was doing youth ministry, I used to tell students, I said, look, if you're going to maintain your sexual purity, make that decision before you climb into the back seat with the girl that you just took to the prom. Because if you're if you're making out in that in that scenario and that's when you have to make the decision, you're much more likely to fail than if you make the decision not to get in the back seat to start with. And for Christians, I'm saying in the culture that we're in today, we have to make a stand. Final, just real quick illustration. I, I don't want to take too long, but I really believe the Lord gave this to me one time. You know, I, I used to um, go to bed, sleep all night, uh, not have any trouble. Now I have to get up 
you know, once, maybe twice, go to the bathroom. Right. And since my wife doesn't necessarily have to do the same thing, she doesn't like it when I turn the light on. So I try to get up and go the few steps to the bathroom in the dark. And I learned early that God put toes on our feet for finding furniture in the dark, that that's one of the purposes that they're down there for. Specifically okay. the pinky toe, so, yes. It, it, yes, and it, it it's very painful. Yes. But one night when I one when I woke up, I was frustrated. I, I I swung my legs over the side of the bed, and and I was sitting there, and thinking, okay, am I going to turn on the light and tick off my wife, or am I going to break my little toe again, or what am I going to do here? And I realized within a few minutes, my eyes adjusted to the amount of light that was in the room, and I could see shadows. And so I was able to get up and go to the bathroom and get back and avoid breaking one of my toes because my eyes was was able to see enough in the dark to navigate. And God spoke to me about that. And he said, too many people in the church today are doing the same thing. Rather than turning the light of the truth on, we're learning how to navigate in the dark. We're allowing just enough light into our life to keep from tripping over the things that are in our culture. But that's not what God has called us to be. He said, we are salt and we are light. And the only question is not whether we're going to be salt and light. If you're born again, you are. The question is, will you shine and will the salt retain its saltiness? And that's the question for us in 2023 and 2024. It's the question of our generation. And I pray that we're fine, that God will find us faithful to his word. Amen. That's a good word. And I think that's a a good place to wrap the conversation. Again, if you want to learn more about Dr. Tony Beam and his program, Truth, Politics, and Culture, you can do that. Just search him on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. They're available there or on Facebook. You can find him as well. Five days a week, 730 to 830 for him. And then then you get a little bit of a break. Then you can do your work that you need to get done. And right around noon or one o'clock, at least three times a week, you're getting the Palmetto Family Matters show. Give us that five-star rating and review. You can give out more than one. So give us one as well. Make sure you're sharing this video with your friends and family, letting them know what's going on. These are issues that everyone needs to be talking about. And there has to be some level of Christian understanding of what's going on in the culture and and in the world around us. And I think these are two very valuable pieces that you can use. If you want to learn more about Palmetto Family, I'll give you the plug. Go to palmettofamily.org. Scroll down to the very bottom. We've got a newsletter coming out today of ways that you can get involved in South Carolina when it comes to helping and not harming children. When it comes to the transgender ideology push, we've got a brand new webpage for you to visit. We're going to have a brand new push for you as we get closer and closer to the 2024 legislative session. That is one of our top issues, making sure we protect children, not only with books, not only with with ideologies in the schools, but also when you get trapped in the ideology, how do we help you? instead of harming you when it comes to these transgender surgeries that are haircuts are temporary. Uh, Gender mutilation is actually permanent. And so we're looking to make sure we help children and not harm them. Be looking for that. You can subscribe to our email newsletter on Palmetto Family's uh, website as, as well as checking out all the previous shows that we've had on the page as well. And if you are so inclined and we encourage you to do this, the only way we're able to continue doing the work that we do and standing actively, moving as we stand uh, inside South Carolina, the culture here in the Palmetto State and across the country is through the investment of faithful people 
uh, like those of you who are watching. So if you feel led to invest in Palmetto Family, you can do that. Visit palmettofamily.org. There is an invest button at the top. And however the Lord leads you in that, whether it's a, a monthly gift or a yearly gift or as available, we I understand Bidenomics isn't exactly a good thing. So I get it. But if you feel led to invest in the work that we do here, we would certainly greatly appreciate it. And that's how we're able to do this show that we do uh, so often during the week and bring you this information and talk about it with you throughout the week. Dr. Tony Beam, we appreciate it. Mitch will be back here on Monday. He's got big shoes to fill now. So um, you've set the <laughs> bar high for him. Um, Mitch does an incredible job. So do you. I appreciate both of you. And thank, thanks for having me on today. Of course. For Mitch Prosser, Kevin Cayello, by the way, I, I, he had a new addition to the family today. So congratulations to, to Mr. Cayello uh, on the new addition to the family. And for Mitch Prosser, for Dr. Tony Beam, I'm Justin Hall. Have a great weekend. Enjoy it. Fall weather. If you're in the Columbia area, Greek festival going on. I'm going to head over there for dinner tonight. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday on the fastest growing and strongest conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina, the Palmetto Family Matters Show. <laughs>